Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. As always, I am joined by Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, what news have you from the uh, Cleggett Garden? <laughs> well, I, I slept among the garden this weekend. Is this some sort of bonding experience <laughs> that you're trying to do? No, no. We we decided to, since we can't really go anywhere right now, we decided to, to put up the tent. And two of the three children decided to camp out with me. Uh, one was the seven-year-old little girl. And I will tell you, we slept on an air mattress together, she and I. And I don't think I'll be sleeping with her anytime <laughs> soon. I had, I had feet in my chin. I had feet on my tummy. I, she was upside down, twisty, stealing all the blankets. And I, it was a very long night. And I, I learned that my roosters start waking me up uh, or start crowing at 3 a.m. every day. So oh. that was not, no. By the time I finally fell asleep and then the rooster started. So that was just, yeah. She had fun, though. She'll never forget it. Well, that's that's really all that matters. You're you're a great mother and a great co-host of this show. And we, we got to put you to work now, Nicole. I'm sorry. Even if you're not well rested, we need to get into the program here. And we're going to start out talking about. Uh, life care managers, Nicole, and this is a subject that we often explore because when someone's on a, a caregiving journey, oftentimes it's, it's not something that they've planned for, and it, these are tough waters to navigate. So to help us explore that subject a little bit more, we've got Heather McLaughlin here. She's with ANA Aging Life Care Specialist. She is the owner of that organization. Heather, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I love this topic uh, because, you know, for some reason, it seems like, you know, for almost anything else in our lives, you know, our car breaks down, we know we go to a car mechanic, you know, we can't fix our computer, we call, you know, the geek squad, maybe that was a free commercial, sorry, Um, you know, so on and so (laughs) forth. And and so, you know, we need to figure out what to do with our money, we go to a financial advisor, we need to draw up legal paperwork, we go to a lawyer. And a really big part of our lives, whether we are planning for it or not, it's going to be caring for a loved one who has a chronic condition and typically someone who's an older adult. But we don't often think about going to see a specialist for that. And really, it's a very smart idea because even at Transitions Scotting Lights, we interface with a lot of family members who have sort of been bumping along in the dark before they find us and have made so many different mistakes and costly mistakes sometimes or just even you know life removing mistakes just for the cost of the stress uh, of of just having to place loved ones in wrong settings and so on and so forth so i love aging life care managers in the field of geriatric care management so so glad to have you here today thank you i am thrilled to be here and you are right um there's there's still so many that that do not know about our services and what we can offer. So I am thrilled to be here today and to talk to you about this. So if I was a family caregiver at home and I started to start to think, wow, you know, 
mom just isn't doing as well and maybe she's falling or she's more forgetful and not paying her bills the way she needs to, not eating as well as she needs to, not keeping the house up as well as she needs to or used to, not keeping up her personal appearance. You know, when some of these things start to come into play, a lot of times people get that little tickle feeling in the back of their mind like, ooh, you know, this this loved one of mine is on a decline. And, and we often are faced with, all right, are we going to ignore it? Or are we going to face it head on? Um, when do you recommend that folks start to interface with a, a specialist such as yourself uh, to help navigate or come up with a plan for the future of their aging loved one? Um, that's, that's a really great question. Um, we like to be the first on the scene, uh, aging life care managers, because we are like the GPS, right? We are there to navigate the web of the senior services. So we can take so much stress. And in the end, we do save a family's money um, because they're not going from place to place trying to find out things that maybe weren't the right fix for their loved one. So I really recommend everyone, the minute a loved one is starting to have issues, please, please reach out um, to the Aging Life Care Association. They have a um, network where you can plug in your zip code and they will match you with um, a geriatric care manager. That, and, that, um, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful website. We use that often at, at Transitions Guiding Lights. So I definitely appreciate you, you talking about that, especially for individuals who may be living here locally and have a loved one living in another town or city. It's a great way to find an individual who has uh, vast experience. And my understanding is to become an aging life care manager, there's quite a lot of credentialing education that needs to occur before you can actually call yourself one of those individuals to help navigate someone through this process. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, it is a, a geriatric care manager um, needs to have their master's and it could be um, in social work, could be a nurse, um, a gerontologist, or any other human service uh, professional. But they do recommend you also have um, your uh, continuing education. Um, I'm actually, my master's is in psychology. So I do a little bit of talk therapy with clients as well. And um, yeah, but it is definitely a, to be a member of the Aging Life Care Association, they, they do vet you. And um, it is a little bit of a process, but it's so worth it. So talk to us a little bit about a scenario so folks listening can get the picture of, you know, an example of a situation that an aging life care manager can assist with. That's another great question um, because people don't realize we can assist with pretty much anything, um, and that is getting the resources into place. So an example, if your loved one maybe is um, – you're starting to see signs of dementia. They're forgetting things, um, doing weird behavior. Uh, we can come in, we do a dementia assessment. That's one of the tools. 
And we can kind of gauge what level of dementia your loved one is in. And then we look at um, housing. Is there where they're currently living? Is it safe? So we do a safety inspection of the house that they're in or even um, assisted living. We just kind of like to know that everything is being followed. Um, and then we go into financial with the loved ones. You know, um, we can maybe they need to be hooked up with a financial advisor. We um, hook them up with that. Uh, maybe they don't have a will or um, POA, so we can get them involved with elder law, an elder law attorney. Um, <clears throat> we also can help to place them. So maybe mom or dad needs to um, be put into an assisted living. We will actually tour the um, area with the family to find the right fit for them. So it really so sounds like to me that an aging life care manager is, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, or maybe this is a great way to put it, a uh, air traffic controller, really the person who can, can be the connector to all the different types of resources that exist in the community with an area of expertise and understanding what would be the best match for that individual family situation. Yeah, and Heather, what would be the best way for folks who are interested in reaching out to ANA Aging Life Care Specialists to get a hold of you? Um, yes, my uh, website is www.aginglifecarespecialist, that's all one word, dot com. And my cell phone number is 919-522-8996. Excellent. That's 919 522 Nine, six. Heather McLaughlin, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, guys. Have a good, have a good uh, Aging Life Care Month. <laughs> thank you very much. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF with your hosts, Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, and I'm Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we were talking a little bit about social isolation earlier, and we're going to look at that through a little bit a, a different lens here, and we're going to be talking about elder orphans. And to do that, we've brought on Nancy Ruffner. She is a board-certified patient advocate and owner of Navigate NC. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Good to be here. So, so glad to have you here today, and I think your topic is particularly timely because people who have... Uh, found themselves in a new position of being isolated um, that may not have ever found themselves in, in that way before, just by the fact that families, you know, can't come to visit them because they're an at-risk population, uh, things of that nature. So talk to us a little bit about, um, specifically, generally speaking, before the COVID-19 pandemic, what exactly is an elder orphan? Sure. 
Well, an elder orphan is, uh, the, the functional definition is uh, elder orphans or solos are individuals who, by choice or circumstance, function without the support system traditionally provided by family. So that makes us think that it's um, people who live alone, people uh, who have no spouse or partner, people who um, don't have living children or stepchildren, and um, people whose only child may be disabled and, and is unable to provide the support that they need. Or people who just have cut ties for one reason or another, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. Fit into that group. That's part of the, the broader definition. There's a lot more um, in, inside that definition, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad you brought that up. People that are estranged from their family, uh, maybe, they're, maybe they do have children or family members, but they live at a distance. Right. Um, also, underneath this broad definition, um, they may have children or family members who are unavailable, and, and by that it may mean that perhaps they're working to pay for the care or, or uh, for their own retirement, or maybe they're in the sandwich generation and, and they're caring for young children and their aging parents. Um, but uh, it could be that they're um, unable. Maybe maybe your support system, if you're an elder orphan or a solo ager, maybe your support system has their own medical challenges and can't help or lift or drive. Um, your, your, your very best friend may be having their own hip surgery. <laughs> right, right. Um, so folks folks can fall into that category, even temporarily potentially, but yeah, I, I certainly yeah. understand that. So, you know, so are, what are some of the special considerations, you know, let's just say you find yourself as you know, that type of a person and, you know, you're not really at the point where you're needing a whole bunch of care yet or you haven't had a medical crisis of any stretch of the imagination. What are some of the things that, you know, if we're, if we're looking at our, our future and we're knowing that we're going to be aging basically alone, what are some things that we need to be putting into the place now so that we have um, – you know, a good future? Well, we, as most of us will assume that we want, as we age, we want to maintain our independence and control and um, elder orphans and solo agers are are no different. Uh, We have unique needs because our support system is different from others. In fact, we have to be a little bit more demonstrative in in growing it. We have to take the, take the reins. some of the things we can do is build out our support system or social capital, as some people call it. Capital meaning money in the bank. We need we need to build our support system, meet people our, our own age, get involved so that we can combat some of the isolation, which was already a problem before COVID-19, but now presents some even more um, difficult challenges. Yeah, we've had a number of people reach out to Transition Scouting Lights that uh, mm-hmm. really have nobody that they can truly rely on. So, you know, we have, you know, made certain connections for folks. Sometimes, you know, people like yourself or, or aging life care managers that can sort of step in right now and help coordinate services when people may be fearful to leave their home because they are a vul- part of the vulnerable population. So sort of all of these, I think, all these situations, while no, none of us planned for a global pandemic, sort of need to be in our what I like to call our hit by the bus plan, right? Like at the the end of the day, you know, what are we going to do if, you know, basically 
the world catches on fire. I, there, I, there was a mem that I saw the other day. If 2020 um, was was if we could put 2020 as a mem, and it was basically a kid sliding down a really hot metal slide, right? Like we're going, oh boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> just because it's sort of one of those That's crazy true. years. And really, for any one of us personally, I know globally we're all going through this together. But personally, we can have a, a hot slide year where all of a sudden everything just seems like it's moving fast and it's not comfortable and we're out of control and you know what do we do so you know if we have a plan in place for those moments we could really be ready for anything well i've seen a lot of good things happening especially in this area and yes we we've seen an uptick in in folks uh families that are concerned about their um relatives who reside alone aging alone or or again the relatives are out of state but the 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 person is here Good things are happening. Um, I've seen uh, I, I've seen a lot of uh, Zoom calls. I've seen uh, an increase in folks wishing to connect um, teenagers who are tech savvy to seniors who may not be. Um, a, a lot more of the faith communities are stepping up and, and increasing their outreach. Uh, there's there are there are really good things happening. Um, I'm especially excited to do the call. Uh, to do this this show at this time because what's occurring right now in the month of April, National Healthcare Decisions Day is a big day for uh, for solo seniors. National Healthcare Decisions Day is the day that helps us uh, uh, to get our advanced directives going, our get our legal ducks in a row. And elder orphans have some special planning here. We need to make sure that we have a will because you know <laughs> I like to say. If we don't have a plan, then the great state of North Carolina has one for us. Uh, but it's it's mostly about advanced directives and who will speak for me. Right, right. You know, that, that's a ripple in the rug for many, many elder orphans. They're like, I don't have anybody to designate. I don't know who I would choose to be my agent for health care power of attorney or financial power of attorney. And so their task becomes the one that's going to behoove them anyway, and that's increasing their social network. Exactly, exactly. So what are some other things that folks need to consider if they're an elder orphan? Along with combating the isolation, which, again, was already a problem before COVID, I think it's important that folks realize that they're going to need a team. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of when I think about it, it's an opportunity. You know, there, there's this famous phrase that says more than one in five Americans older than 65 are at risk of becoming an elder orphan. Yeah, I don't think it's at risk. I think it's an opportunity. You know, we're only at risk if we know there's a need and we haven't done anything about it. If we know our back door is open and we're not taking steps, then maybe we are at risk. But this is a tremendous opportunity for us to build our own team and to uh, to coin one of my favorite phrases, to, to have a say in how things will go and where we'll end up. We can begin to look at, you know, how are we going to call the shots? How can I maintain independence uh, and uh, make sure that things go my way? And I can do that by having my medical providers picked out. I can get my legal ducks in a row and and find out what I need to know to appoint agents for my power of attorney designations and to have some emergency plans. Everything from the simple to the uh, more intricate 
from something as simple as having the emergency contact information jotted down by your phone to something to having a complete information in a vault um, stored in the cloud. So there's a number of ways that you can approach this, um, build your team, and ready yourself. Yeah, it's a planning exercise that we all should go through. She is Nancy Ruffner. She's a board-certified patient advocate and owner of Navigate NC. You can find more information about her and her organization at NavigateNC.com. NavigateNC.com. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Happy to be here. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Nicole, we're welcoming in a, a longtime friend of the program. He's been on the show many times as we're going to have a conversation about hospice care. And to do that, we've brought in Mark Philbrick. He's the director of education at Transitions Life Care. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. So glad to have you here today, Mark. I so appreciate working with you and just the spirit of which you um provide education to folks in the community. I think it's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for being you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I think, um, you know, throughout the entire country, we really have, generally speaking, a nursing shortage. And I think a lot of times when people are going to school to become a nurse, and gosh, this area has many, many schools of nursing, um, a lot of time is really not spent on hospice care. And, and a lot of people, when they think about becoming a nurse, think about, you know, working in the OR or, or things of that nature or maybe in a doctor's office. But I don't think people give a lot of thought to sort of the role of nursing in um, end-of-life care and really what some of the rewards are in, in, in going into this field as a career. So I thought, you know, you could potentially shed some light on that and, and, and talk to us a little bit about some of the myths and myth, misconceptions related to hospice nursing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is um, really important. I um, Even in my own career path, in June it will be 45 years I've celebrated being a registered nurse and like many nurses, I just started my nursing career in working in a hospital mm-hmm. when I was 20 years old. And I did do operating room nursing mm-hmm. and psychiatric nursing and other career paths. And it wasn't until 30 years into my nursing career that I discovered, or better, hospice discovered me when um, my dad and my brother both got cancer at the same time. And I needed the services in my own family. So there are approximately 2.8 million nurses in the United States and less than 5% of those uh, work in the area of home health and hospice. So um, it is a a big specialty. Mm -hmm. About 1.4 million people a year die in our country um, in hospice. And so there's a big need for this. And it is not typically or didn't used to be typically part of a nursing curriculum. I serve as adjunct faculty at the School of Nursing at UNC Chapel Hill, and every 
semester now I do do lectures on end of life. So they have incorporated some of this into nursing school and we actually do have nursing students six a semester come and rotate through our hospice facility to get a better understanding of what hospice is all about. And uh, more and more nurses in school, as they understand this, see this as a viable specialty um, in their future. So what do you think some of the misgivings are about entering this as a career? Is it viewed as, you know, just you're less than a nurse if you're in hospice nursing? Or, I mean, why do you think, you know, folks generally shy away from doing this at the beginning of their careers? Well, I think a lot of folks, when initially asked what they think when they think about hospice, they think, oh, my gosh, that must be so sad and depressing Hmm. working with people who die all the time. Um, And the reality is that we are working with patients and families at an incredibly important part of their life journey. Mm-hmm. And there's much joy and happiness and fulfillment in it. I think another misconception is that uh, some people conceive of a hospice nurse as like Florence Nightingale sitting at the bedside holding a hand weeping next to a patient who's dying. Mm-hmm. And that's so far from the truth. It is very interactive, it's very demanding, it takes the full scope of nursing knowledge and experience. And I think the other uh, misconception is that um, a lot of nurses think that other aspects of nursing early in their career are much more challenging as far as going into like emergency nursing or intensive care nursing. Um, And many of the people that we recruit into hospice are those nurses who've experienced death not done well in hospitals and find hospice is a a really rewarding experience to help families make this end-of-life journey the best it can be. So what do you find that some of the challenges are for a hospice nurse, um, you know, for for people even just entering it, you know, when people are sort of switching gears, what are some of the things that folks maybe get surprised about? Um, I think the challenges is that hospice nursing requires the full range of the skills that you're trained as a nurse. Mm -hmm. The physical care of patients, because the patients we work with are extremely complex. Very few people just die of one thing. They have multiple uh, system failures going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's many medications, but then the emotional challenges of dealing with families in distress, um, helping navigate the fear of the unknown with these families. So it is really challenging Uh, to really use uh, the full set of skills you have. Um, Also, working at people at end of life, we see that it brings out the best in some families and the worst in others. So walking into a situation, the nurses have to be prepared emotionally to deal with the emotions that are coming at them. Um, Because rarely is a family prepared for the death of a loved one. Even if the person has been suffering for years, they're still not ready. The other challenge that we face is about a third of the patients a hospice nurse cares for will be dead in less than a week and a third less than a month. So there's much that has to be done both physically, emotionally, spiritually in a very short period of time. And the paperwork side of it all, too. A lot of paperwork. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. So it's, um, it's challenging in many ways, but it is also incredibly rewarding. 
and others. And I think, you know, for those who aren't working necessarily, because there are very few inpatient hospice homes, there's also mm-hmm. a transition, I would say, working in, you know, a building, you know, a hospital setting or, or a doctor's office, and then really just becoming a road warrior with intermittent team meetings, correct? Absolutely. One of the biggest challenges we have in recruiting nurses who are used to working like in intensive care settings or in a very structured hospital setting is um, they are on the road, so they just have logistical challenges of going from place to place. The other part of that is they have to think on their feet. They can't always, you know, in a hospital, you're literally a phone call or just walking down the hall to find a medical resident or somebody who can assist, you know, answering questions. Um, So that's a challenging part of it. The other is um, you're in charge of your own schedule. So a hospice nurse could see anywhere from six patients a day, but they're in the middle of caring for one patient and all of a sudden there's some crisis that comes up somewhere else that they've got to deal with. Or it could be the family they're with has lots of questions and it's not like you schedule in an ICU where you're doing vital signs every 15 minutes. Each situation requires um, different amounts of time and it's hard to anticipate. Or it could be that they had plans to visit five people and one of the patients died last night and they've got a new patient that they've got to meet for the first time. So it's that constant thinking on your feet. Mm -hmm. You have to be very, very pliable um, for sure. So when we get back from the break, what I would really love to dive into a little bit more is really the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic, from what I've seen, has really brought up a national discussion about death and dying. And perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, this may be a time when a lot of nurses even more so are getting exposed to that and may think about perhaps transitioning to a career in hospice and end-of-life type nursing. Mm-hmm. We'll cover that with our guest, Mark Philbrick. He is the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care right after these messages. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett on the line. We have Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. You can find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. And Nicole, uh, you know, we often talk about uh, the need and uh, I, it's difficult to talk about death and dying, mm-hmm. but um, I guess one of the, <laughs> the few bright sides of COVID-19 is that it gives us a really easy way to start those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing more and more just general people talking about, you know, wow, you know, all the hospitals are talking about putting people on ventilators and needing more ventilators and 
what in the world is a ventilator and what does that mean? And if I got this virus, would I want to be on a ventilator? So it's really just almost normalizing some of that conversation that has been, frankly, quite taboo. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if anything, that's really given family members a door opener to get some insight into what a loved one may or may not want when it comes to uh, end-of-life care and end-of-life wishes. Would you agree that you've been sort of hearing more of those conversations, Mark? Yes, absolutely. There's um, a lot of fear, a lot of concern, and a lot of needed education about this whole topic. So I'm, I suspect, you know, especially in the areas where there are hot spots, and thankfully, you know, this area is not one of them, there have been a lot of nurses that have been exposed, or even nurses from this area deployed to areas where there are hot spots, to a lot more death and dying than, um, you know, they would have otherwise. And I think it's probably going to open up a lot of questions for folks as they're coming off of this time and sort of debriefing and going through just the thinking through versus the day in, day out mantra of just doing the, the hard work of, you know, what does this mean for me as a professional? What do I want to do with the future of my career? I know a lot of people, unfortunately and sadly, and even in this area because of the virus, you know, they can't have loved ones if they're in a hospital on a ventilator. So, so we're finding that, um, you know, People who would not normally have to literally be sitting there at the bedside are now doing that to really try to support those individuals who are experiencing some confusion uh, related to oxygen level changes and things of that nature. And so I think people are, just because of the virus, becoming exposed to what it might be like to support someone at end of life. Yes, definitely. Um, In the hospice arena, we have about 40% of the patients we care for are in skilled assisted living facilities or nursing homes. So we have staff on our hospice team that go into these nursing homes, many of which have uh, COVID positive patients. And virtually every patient we care for in hospice is already uh, physically compromised. So they're very high risk. Um, And uh, so our team is protecting themselves, protecting the patients and protecting the families as they, they provide their care. Um, so I do think, especially I've seen and read hospice nurses and intensive care nurses who are very much struggling with um, the emotional impact of dealing with patients who are dying, especially since families are restricted from being present. And it does take an emotional toll. And a lot of what we do with our hospice nurses and our training process is help them deal with their own feelings of death and their own mortality and dealing with handling what grief and losses they've had in their own life so they are more prepared to process that in the lives of those they care for. Well, and frankly, you know, just in society as a whole right now, um, you know, I think what people are experiencing is what's known as cumulative grief, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. we are all just, you know, there are little things and they may seem like not a big deal. Why are you even complaining about it? But, you know, things like, you know, not being able to see your colleagues every day, losing a paycheck, perhaps you've lost a loved one during this time and you couldn't have a funeral the way you would normally have had. Children, having to support children who can't go to school, who want, wonder why they can't be with their friends, trying to explain a virus to a three-year-old, you know, not being able to visit a parent in a long-term care community. And so all of these little griefs and losses that we're experiencing don't have to be literal death and dying 
losses, but they're all building up for folks. And I think there's just a general sense of folks are really starting to get tired. They just, people just want to feel like there's something that they can count on that they have control over that feels normal in their lives. And so then put on top of that healthcare workers who are being faced with the virus day in and day out, I can only imagine uh, the types of supports that administration is having to provide for folks that are truly on the front lines of fighting this disease. That's a really good point. I think when most people think of grief, they think of those who've lost somebody close to them. But grief is a natural response to any type of loss. Mm -hmm. You know, loss of income, loss of relationships, loss, as you mentioned, of our what we think is a normal existence that can be turned upside down, uh, particularly in the situation we're in now. And that those losses and the grief that results from that cause both physical symptoms in people, um, emotional, spiritual sense of loss and disconnection. So it is really important that self-care be emphasized. And we're doing that with our staff, um, sending out encouraging um, communications. Our spiritual care counselors are sending out readings and poems and things that sort of keep us centered and um, focused on the bigger picture of what we're about and what we do. Um, And then really encouraging self-care, going out on walks, um, FaceTiming or Zoom meeting with colleagues and friends and family, all of those just keep us connected the best we can uh, during the challenges that we're facing right now. And trying, and trying to find some humor. I mean, there's so much going around that is so, so heavy. And it is heavy. I mean, my gosh, it feels like the weight of the world, truly. Um, but, you know, just trying to find, as Irma Bombeck would say, some of the, some bless in the mess. Um, and just, you know, just trying to find some of those small moments of joy, even if there's just one thing out of the day that you found simple joy. And I, last night, my daughter was we built a fire outside. She was begging to do this for weeks and finally got around to building a fire outside. She was just as happy as she could be. And she sat on my lap and she said, Mommy, I don't care. And she's seven. When I'm 13 years old, I'm still going to sit on your lap. And I don't care if everybody teases me because I'm always going to love you like this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is so sweet. I could just bottle up the joy. Meanwhile, I'm looking across the fire pit at my 13-year-old who thinks I'm the most unfair and like evil person in the world. So <laughs> but I hope she keeps that light. But, you know, just, you know, even if you you just had a really rough day and just trying to find some glimmer of uh, of something, you know, whether it was a, a text somebody sent you or a phone call, some sort of a connection, something beautiful you can, you can see outside in nature. I think those are all, you know, positive things that we can hold on to and realize that they're true and they're real. And yes, this world is flipped upside down, but there are still moments of joy in, in some of the very, very simple things in life, even the fact that we have breath. Absolutely. And uh, it Your story just reminded me of what Mark Twain said. When he was 14, he was appalled at his father's ignorance. And when he turned 21, he was amazed at how much his father had learned in just seven years. um, (laughs) That's awesome. I really do appreciate it. We do do try to share jokes and and try to keep it light. I think a good one I heard the other day was that they're now going to require everybody wear masks inside their homes. And it's not to protect them from COVID, but from eating too much. 
<laughs> I love it, Mark. I definitely love that. I love love the spirit in which you bring to everything that you do and all that you're doing behind the scenes, working in education at Transitions Life Care to keep everybody feeling uplifted. And, and hopefully we've inspired some people just to think a little bit differently about perhaps what they want to do and realize that Think about who's working today, who are known as the essential workers, because you high school seniors, those are the jobs you want to get. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mark Philbrick, Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. Thanks again for joining us this evening. It's my pleasure. You can find more information about the many services that Transitions Life Care provides by going online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. Org. We're out of time for tonight. I want to thank our guests this evening. We just spoke with Mark Philbrick and also Madeline Ashley earlier in the program. If you missed that, head over to WPTF.com. Head over to the podcast section. There you can find Aging Matters and listen to this episode as well as all of our past episodes of Aging Matters. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.